Get to Old Navy now because this week only there's a new red hot deal every single day. Plus up to 50% off store wide. That's up to 50% off your favorite Old Navy styles. Also get $10 off your next purchase when you buy online and pick up in store. So hurry in and get today's wow worthy fashion pieces at a price you won't believe. Only at Old Navy. Valid 712 to 19. Select styles only. $10 off valid in store only. One time use. Excludes clearance, gift card, register lane items, jewelry. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Think It Ain't Illegal Yet. I'm your host, St. Clinton. On this show, we'll be playing some poetry, spoken words. And other things about political and social issues going on around the world, both past, present, and future, which will hopefully make you think. Instability is when anyone gets in the way. The U.S. and its allies will do anything they can to prevent authentic democracy in the Arab world. The reason is very simple. Uh, Across the region, uh, an overwhelming majority of the population It regards the United States as the main threat to their interests. Uh, In fact, uh, uh, opposition to U.S. policy is so high that a considerable majority think the region would be more secure if Iran had nuclear weapons. Plainly, the U.S. and its allies are not going to want governments which are responsive to the will of the people. The uh, revelations from WikiLeaks that got the most publicity were that the Arabs support U.S. policy on Iran. Uh, They were quoting comments of Arab dictators. If the dictators support us and the population's under control, then what's the problem? It's like imperialism. What's the problem if it works? As long as they can control their populations, fine. They can have campaigns of hatred. Our friendly dictators will keep them under control. That's the reaction, not just of the diplomatic service in the State Department or of the uh, media uh, uh, who reported this, but also of the general intellectual community. It just doesn't matter what the population thinks as long as they're under control. So in the case of an oil-rich country, 
with a reliable, obedient dictator, they're given free reign. Saudi Arabia is the most important. It's the most repressive, uh, uh, extremist, uh, uh, strongest center of uh, Islamic fundamentalism. Uh, uh, missionaries who spread uh, uh, ultra-radical Islamism, fund jihadis, and so on. Uh, but they're obedient. They're reliable. So they can do what they like. Uh, there was a planned protest in uh, Saudi Arabia. It, the police presence was so overwhelming and intimidating that no, literally nobody even was willing to show up in the streets of Riyadh. The same in Kuwait. There was a small demonstration, very quickly crushed, uh, no comment. Actually, the most interesting case in many respects is Bahrain. Bahrain is quite important for two reasons. The one reason which has been reported is that it's the uh, home port of the U.S. Fifth Fleet, a major, major military force in the region. fundamental reason is that Bahrain is about 70% Shiite and it's right across the causeway from eastern Saudi Arabia. Which also is majority Shiite and happens to be where most of um, Saudi oil is. Egypt and Tunisia and other countries of that category, there is a game plan. When you have a favored dictator uh, and he's getting into trouble, support him as long as possible, full support as long as possible. When it becomes impossible to support him, like say maybe the army turns against him, business class turns against him, then you know, send him off somewhere. Uh, issue uh, ringing declarations about your love of democracy and then try to restore the old regime. We support him right to the end, Mubarak in Egypt, right to the end, keep supporting him. Uh, doesn't work any longer, send him off to Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, pull out the rhetoric, try to restore the old regime. That's in fact what the conflict is about right now. Well, there's another category. Uh, the other category is an oil-rich dictator who's not reliable, uh, who's a loose cannon. That's Libya. And there, there's a different policy. Try to get a uh, more reliable dictator. Of course, describe it as a humanitarian uh, intervention. That's another uh, near historical universal. You check history, virtually every resort to force uh, by whoever it is, is accompanied by the most noble rhetoric. It's all completely humanitarian. 
that includes uh, Hitler taking over Czechoslovakia, uh, the Japanese fascists uh, rampaging in, uh, in northeast China. In fact, it's uh, Mussolini in Ethiopia. There's hardly any exceptions. Uh, at the very same time, uh, the Arab League uh, produced, had a, uh, issued another request. Here's a headline from a newspaper. Arab League calls for Gaza no-fly zone. That's inconsistent with U.S. policy, uh, so that we don't have to honor and observe, and that disappeared. Here's one from the New York Times a couple days ago. I'll quote it. It said, The poll found the majority of Egyptians want to annul the 1979 peace treaty with Israel that has been a cornerstone of Egyptian foreign policy and the region's stability. Actually, that's not quite accurate. It's been a cornerstone of the region's instability. The agreement essentially eliminated Egypt from the Israel-Arab conflict. That means eliminated the only deterrent to Israeli military action, and it freed up Israel to expand its uh, operations, illegal operations in the occupied territories, and to attack its northern neighbor, to attack Lebanon. Shortly after Israel attacked Lebanon, uh, killed 20,000 people, uh, destroyed southern Lebanon, tried to uh, impose a client regime, didn't quite make it. So the immediate reaction to the peace treaty in Israel uh, was that there are things about it we don't like. We're going to have to abandon our settlements in the Sinai, in the Egyptian Sinai. But it has a good side, too, because now the only deterrent is gone. We can use force and violence to achieve our other goals. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly why uh, the Egyptian population is opposed to it. They understand that, as does everyone in the region. Uh, on the other hand, the Times wasn't lying when they said that uh, this it, it led to the region's stability. And the reason is because of the meaning of the word stability as a technical meaning. Stability is its kind of like democracy. Stability means conformity to our interests. So, for example, when uh, Iran tries to expand its uh, influence in Afghanistan and Iraq, neighboring countries, now that's called destabilizing. On the other hand, when the U.S. invades those countries, occupies them, half destroys them, uh, that's, in, that's to achieve stability. When the U.S. Uh, overthrew the democratic government in Chile and instituted a vicious dictatorship, uh, that was because the U.S. had to destabilize Chile 
to achieve stability. If you understand the meaning of the word stability, yeah, you overthrow a parliamentary government, you uh, install a dictatorship, you invade a country and kill 20,000 people, uh, you invade uh, Iraq and kill hundreds of thousands of people, that's all bringing about stability. Instability is when anyone gets in the way. Instability is when anyone gets in the way. Instability is when anyone gets in the way. necessary in the face of evil. With the increasing use of military-style policing, with the use of drones and satellites, with the use of guns and real ammunition, Use of nerve gas and tear gas. With the use of torture and loss of liberty. With the banning of protests. With the banning of freedom of speech. being farmed out to third world countries. We must resist. We must resist. We must resist. We must resist. We are being forced into working for nothing. into slavery. We are being forced into acts of aggression. We are being forced into fighting for our liberty and our freedom. Democracy is a sham. significant threats.
officials from the Pentagon, uh, from the National Security Agency. But they wanted to murder me. They would be happy, they would love to uh, put a bullet in my head. Poison me as I was returning from the grocery store uh, and have me die in the shower. I don't lose sleep because I've done what I feel I needed to do. It was the right thing to do and I'm not going to be afraid. What we saw initially in response to the revelations was sort of a circling of the wagons of government around the National Security Agency. Instead of circling around the public and protecting their rights, the political class circled around the security state and protected their rights. What's interesting is, though that was the initial response, since then we've seen a softening. We've seen the president acknowledge that when he first said, we've drawn the right balance, there are no abuses. We've seen him and his officials admit that there have been abuses. There have been thousands of violations of the National Security Agency and other agencies, uh, authorities, every single year. It was clear from the president's speech that he wanted to make minor changes. preserve authorities that we don't need. The president created a review board from officials that were personal friends, from national security insiders, former deputy of the CIA. People who had every incentive to be soft on these programs and to see them in the best possible light. But what they found was that these programs have no value. They've never stopped a terrorist attack in the United States. These programs don't make us safe. They take a tremendous amount of resources to run. The National Security Agency operates under the president's executive authority alone. He can end or modify or direct a change in their policies at any time. Every time you pick up the phone, dial a number, write an email, make a purchase, travel on the bus carrying a cell phone, swipe a card somewhere, you leave a trace. And the government has decided that it's a good idea to collect it all. everything, even if you've never been suspected of any crime. Traditionally, the government would identify a suspect. They would go to a judge. They would say, we suspect he's committed this crime. They would get a warrant, and then they would be able to use the totality of their powers in pursuit of the investigation. 
Nowadays, what we see is they want to apply the totality of their powers in advance, prior to an investigation. The breaking point is seeing the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, directly lie under oath to Congress. There's no saving an intelligence community that believes it can lie to the public and the legislators who need to be able to trust it and regulate its actions. Seeing that really meant for me there was no going back. Beyond that, it was the creeping realization that no one else was going to do this. The public had a right to know about these programs. The public had a right to know that which the government is doing in its name. And that which the government is doing against the public. When you are on the inside, when you go into work every day, when you sit down at the desk and you realize the power you have, you can wiretap the President of the United States. You can wiretap the federal judge. And if you do it carefully, no one will ever know because the only way the NSA discovers abuses are from self-reporting. The key is to remember that the surveillance and the abuse doesn't occur when people look at the data. It occurs when people gather the data in the first place. You could read anyone's email in the world. Anybody you've got an email address for, any website you can watch traffic to and from it, any computer uh, that an individual sits at. Any laptop that you're tracking, uh, you can follow it as it moves from place to place throughout the world. And what's more, you can tag individuals. I can track your username on a website, on a forum somewhere. I can track your real name, I can track associations with your friends. And I can build what's called a fingerprint, which is network activity unique to you. Which means anywhere you go in the world, anywhere you try to sort of hide your online presence, hide your identity, the NSA can find you. And anyone who's allowed to use this, or who the NSA shares the software with, can do the same thing. I prefer that journalists make the distinctions uh, and the decisions about what is public interest and what should be published. It's no secret that every country in the world has the data of their citizens in the NSA. Any single communication that transits the internet 
The NSA may intercept at multiple points. They might see it in Germany, they might see it in Sweden, they might see it in Norway or Finland, they might see it in Britain, and they might see it in the United States. It's the same deal worldwide. There's no question that the U.S. is engaged in economic spying. The technological capabilities that have been provided because of sort of weak security standards in internet protocols and, and cellular communications uh, networks have meant that intelligence services can create systems that see everything. In general, I would say it highlights the dangers of privatizing government functions. You have private for-profit companies doing inherently governmental work. Like uh, targeted espionage, surveillance, compromising foreign systems. Anyone who has the skills, uh, who can convince a private company that they have the qualifications to do so, will be empowered by the government to do that. No matter how deeply an individual is embedded in the government, no matter how uh, faithful to the government they are, no matter how strongly they believe in the causes of their government, people can learn, people can discover the line between appropriate government behavior and actual wrongdoing. And I think it became clear to me that that line had been crossed. Contracting culture of the national security community in the United States is a complex topic. It's driven by a number of interests between primarily limiting the number of direct government employees at the same time as keeping lobbying groups in Congress. The problem there is you end up in a situation where government policies are being influenced by private corporations who have interests that are completely divorced from the public good in mind. The result of that is you have private individuals who have access to what the government alleges were millions and millions of uh, records that they could walk out the door with at any time with no accountability, no oversight, no auditing. The government didn't even know they were gone. I think it's becoming increasingly clear that these leaks didn't cause harm. In fact, they served the public good. Because of that, I think it'll be very difficult to maintain sort of an ongoing campaign of persecution against someone who the public agrees serves the public interest.
I think it's clear there are times where what is lawful is distinct from what is rightful. If I'm a traitor, who did I betray? I gave all of my information to the American public, to American journalists who were reporting on American issues. If they see that as treason, I think people really need to consider who do they think they're working for. The public is supposed to be their boss, not their enemy. president would choose to say someone should face the music when he knows the music is a show trial. As far as my personal safety, I'll never be fully safe. I'll never be fully safe. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sane Clinton. I just wanted to drop in real quick and say thank you for listening to this show. Whether you listen through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Plus, Player FM, or any other way, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. All I need is your arms, a soft hiding place, a warm embrace to escape America's blues. I need a woman's understanding, your intuition. Take me away from all the madness, the crime, the corruption, the abduction of justice and equality. I am in search of rivers of reason, oceans of wisdom, a collection of voices who understand sanity and the dismantling of humanity. Will you be my angel? Will you be my sage? My savior? My savior. My savior. My savior. I am too engaged in politics and poverty, in pending prison terms, in biased news reporting, and the miseducation of our children. In religion, wars overseas, the dying innocent, overblown rhetoric, mediocrity, hypocrisy. I need your heart as a safe space. I yearn for solitude from all the missed opportunities for peace and progress. To have you in this way, I'd be blessed. I protest all of these injustices. I stand with the 1%, even the downtrodden other countries and continents. Not to mention this great recession, starving children, women and men stealing. The blues is revealing. It sings a long song of suffering, stands as heavy with tears and struggle. The blues will make you hustle in ways you never dreamt of. Blues don't hold love. 
so I need a break. I need an escape. Your presence would help. I can't do this by myself. I am only an island surrounded by pain and heartache. You are the opposite of those blues, ladies. I need every inch of a soulless
because they're so out of touch and they are able to retreat into their enclaves, they will extract more and more and more. Half of the country now lives in poverty, including the working poor. They will push and push and push myopically out of ignorance. until something erupts, and that's exactly where we're headed. They have very sophisticated mechanisms of public relations and well-publicized acts of philanthropy to hide their private faces. They have made sure that that ideology is taught in universities across the country. The driving ethos of that ideology is really to justify the hoarding of immense amounts of wealth by a very tiny percentage of the upper ruling class. Those economists whose voices are heard, who get tenure, serve the system. Those who don't serve the system don't have a job. We live in a society where corporations at will loot the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve and are bailed out by the taxpayer. Corporations have become predators. Those who offered a critique of the power elite have been banished or silenced. The airwaves are awash in lies. They very skillfully know how to humanize figures, I mean, even idiots like Donald Trump. We have to begin to puncture the very effective mirages that have been created. Corporations, of course, spend billions of dollars to create these mirages. They own or control the systems of information, as well as the systems of education. Resist if you want to uh, create change. You can't do it through traditional political parties. You can't do it through the courts. You can't do it through a corporatized media. You have to step outside the system and create popular mechanisms, mass movements. that will begin to put pressure in a cruder way on the centers of power. That is the only hope we have left. It's all about amassing little monuments to themselves, little empires to themselves. They're just grabbing as much as they can on the way out the door. 
they are creating systems in terms of exploitation, not only of us, but of the ecosystem. Allowing the fossil fuel industry or these corporations to determine our relationship to the environment is a form of collective insanity at this point. Senators and representatives, I have the distinguished honor of presenting the President of the United States. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and at the solicitation of Japan was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. Indeed, one hour after Japanese air squadrons had commenced bombing in the American island of Oahu, the Japanese ambassador to the United States and his colleague delivered to our Secretary of State a formal reply to a recent American message. And while this reply stated that it seemed useless to continue the existing diplomatic negotiations, it contained no threat or hint of war or of armed attack. It will be recorded that the distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. Yesterday, 
The Japanese government also launched an attack against Malaya. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Hong Kong. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Guam. Last night, Japanese forces attacked the Philippine Islands. Last night, the Japanese attacked Wake Island. And this morning, the Japanese attacked Midway Island. Japan has therefore undertaken a surprise offensive extending throughout the Pacific area. The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves. The people of the United States have already formed their opinions and well understand the implications to the very life and safety of our nation. As Commander-in-Chief, of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense, but always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. I believe that I interpret the will of the Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the uttermost, but will make it very certain that this form of treachery shall never again endanger us. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war 
has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. City, I asked the Republican Party to lift the shroud of silence which has been draped over the issue of HIV and AIDS. I have come tonight to bring our silence to an end. I bear a message of challenge, not self-congratulation. I want your attention, not your applause. I would never have asked to be HIV positive. But I believe that in all things there is a purpose, and I stand before you and before the nation gladly. The reality of AIDS is brutally clear. 200,000 Americans are dead or dying. A million more are infected. Worldwide, 40 million, 60 million, or 100 million infections will be counted in the coming few years. But despite science and research, White House meetings and congressional hearings, despite good intentions and bold initiatives, campaign slogans, and hopeful promises, it is, despite it all, the epidemic which is winning tonight. In the context of an election year, I ask you here in this great hall, or listening in the quiet of your home, to recognize that AIDS virus is not a political creature. It does not care whether you are Democrat or Republican. It does not ask whether you are black or white, male or female, gay or straight, young or old. Tonight, I represent an AIDS community whose members have been reluctantly drafted from every segment of American society. Though I am white and a mother, I am one with a black infant struggling with tubes in a Philadelphia hospital. Though I am female and contracted this disease in marriage and enjoy the warm support of my family, I am one with the lonely gay man sheltering a flickering candle from the cold wind of his family's rejection. This is not a distant threat. It is a present danger. The rate of infection is increasing fastest among women and children. Largely unknown a decade ago, AIDS is the third leading killer of young adult Americans today, but it won't be third for long. Because unlike other diseases, this one travels. Adolescents don't give each other cancer or heart disease because they believe they are in love, but HIV is different and we have helped it along. We have killed each other with our ignorance, our prejudice, and our silence. We may take refuge in our stereotypes, but we cannot hide there long, because HIV asks only one thing of those it attacks. Are you human? And this is the right question. Are you human? 
because people with HIV have not entered some alien state of being. They are human. They have not earned cruelty, and they do not deserve meanness. They don't benefit from being isolated or treated as outcasts. Each of them is exactly what God made, a person. Not evil, deserving of our judgment, not victims longing for our pity. People, ready for support and worthy of compassion. My call to you, my party, is to take a public stand no less compassionate than that of the President and Mrs. Bush. They have embraced me and my family in memorable ways. In the place of judgment, they have shown affection. In difficult moments, they have raised our spirits. In the darkest hours, I have seen them reaching not only to me, but also to my parents, armed with that stunning grief and special grace that comes only to parents who have themselves lean too long over the bedside of a dying child. With the President's leadership, much good has been done. Much of the good has gone unheralded. And as the President has insisted, much remains to be done. But we do the President's cause no good if we praise the American family, but ignore a virus that destroys it. We must be consistent if we are to be believed. We cannot love justice and ignore prejudice, love our children and fear to teach them. Whatever our role as parent or policymaker, we must act as eloquently as we speak, else we have no integrity. My call to the nation is a plea for awareness. If you believe you are safe, you are in danger. Because I was not hemophiliac, I was not at risk. Because I was not gay, I was not at risk. Because I did not inject drugs, I was not at risk. My father has devoted much of his lifetime guarding against another holocaust. He is part of the generation who heard Pastor Niemöller come out of the Nazi death camps to say, they came after the Jews and I was not a Jew, so I did not protest. They came after the trade unionists and I was not a trade unionist, so I did not protest. Then they came after the Roman Catholics and I was not a Roman Catholic, so I did not protest. Then they came after me, and there was no one left to protest. The lesson history teaches is this. If you believe you are safe, you are at risk. If you do not see this killer stalking your children, look again. There is no family or community, no race or religion, 
no place left in America that is safe. Until we genuinely embrace this message, we are a nation at risk. Tonight, HIV marches resolutely toward AIDS in more than a million American homes, littering its pathway with the bodies of the young, young men, young women, young parents, and young children. One of the families is mine. If it is true that HIV inevitably turns to AIDS, then my children will inevitably turn to orphans. My family has been a rock of support. My 84-year-old father, who has pursued the healing of the nations, will not accept the premise that he cannot heal his daughter. My mother refuses to be broken. She still calls at midnight to tell wonderful jokes that make me laugh. Sisters and friends and my brother Philip, whose birthday is today, all have helped carry me over the hardest places. I am blessed, richly and deeply blessed, to have such a family. But not all of you... But not all of you have been so blessed. You are HIV positive, but dare not say it. You have lost loved ones, but you dared not whisper the word AIDS. You weep silently. You grieve alone. I have a message for you. It is not you who should feel shame. It is we. We who tolerate ignorance and practice prejudice. We who have taught you to fear. We must lift our shroud of silence, making it safe for you to reach out for compassion. It is our task to seek safety for our children, not in quiet denial, but in effective action. Someday our children will be grown. My son Max, now four, will take the measure of his mother. My son Zachary, now two, will sort through his memories. I may not be here to hear their judgments, but I know already what I hope they are. I want my children to know that their mother was not a victim. She was a messenger. I do not want them to think, as I once did, that courage is the absence of fear. I want them to know that courage is the strength to act wisely when most we are afraid. I want them to have the courage to step forward when called by their nation or their party and give leadership no matter what the personal cost. I ask no more of you than I ask of myself or of my children. To the millions of you who are grieving, who are frightened, who have suffered the ravages of AIDS firsthand. Hey, ladies. Gentlemen, this is Saint Quentin, and we've come to the end of Think It Ain't Illegal. Yeah, we'll be back soon with a new episode, and hopefully, 
this episode has made you think and want to make a difference in this world. Now I'm going to turn on for the love of poetry and spoken word and think. Get to Old Navy now, because this week only, there's a new Red Hot deal every single day. Plus, up to 50% off store-wide. That's up to 50% off your favorite Old Navy styles. Also, get $10 off your next purchase when you buy online and pick up in-store. So hurry in and get today's wow-worthy fashion pieces at a price you won't believe. Only at Old Navy. Valid 712 to 19, select styles only. $10 off valid in-store only. One-time use excludes clearance, gift card, register lane items, jewelry. Get to Old Navy now, because this week only, there's a new Red Hot deal every single day. Plus, up to 50% off store-wide. That's up to 50% off your favorite Old Navy styles. Also, get $10 off your next purchase when you buy online and pick up in-store. So hurry in and get today's wow-worthy fashion pieces at a price you won't believe. Only at Old Navy. Valid 712 to 19, select styles only. $10 off valid in-store only. One-time use excludes clearance, gift card, register lane items, jewelry.